0: A Christian believes in Jesus. Jews do not. Paul cares about people, especially his own people. This is why he worked so diligently as proved by the power of this letter to convince both Jews and Gentiles that right standing before God could never be achieved by obedience to the law of Moses. As we open up Romans chapter 11, Verse 11, with our study leader Dave Wurtzen, Paul tells us about a future time when the majority of Jews will believe in Jesus.
1: The Israeli officer was tanned. He was standing up on the beaches of Tel Aviv, just a little bit west of Tel Aviv. He gathered together several Israelis. And they had gathered together around him because he was a decorated war hero, pretty high profile in the state of Israel. So there's a group that gathered together on the beach. And this Israeli officer had, say, about 22 American teenagers with him. And as he's talking to the crowd, he said, I want you to know that these young friends of mine have come from the United States, and I want you to know that, that they love you as Israelis. The reason they love you as Israelis is because you have given them two very precious gifts. And so all these really, they're saying, well, what are the two precious gifts that we've given to these Americans? I mean, Americans have given us all kinds of technology and they've given us all kinds of support militarily. And what have we given to these Americans? So he said that you've given them two precious gifts that are going to last forever. And so they're all waiting for him to send. He says, you've given them one, you gave them their precious divine book. You gave them their scriptures and they love you for that. You've also given them a man who's their savior. And they wanna meet with you. They wanna be able to share with you this book and the Israeli author held up a book that said, This is a story of my life And it shows how I came to really study those sacred scriptures that we gave to these Americans. And it also shows how I learned something about the centerpiece of that Old Testament and what it was looking forward to. And then those American students just kind of filtered out through the group on the beach and all around the beach. You could see them sitting down with two or three Israelis sharing about the Old Testament being a pointer to Jesus as the Messiah. Now, what I want you to know is like, my older son, Jonathan and Joel, were two of the teenagers that were on that beach that day. They had just finished. They'd gone up and down Israel playing basketball, playing soccer. They took some of their buddies uh, from around the country and trained them in how to share the good news about Jesus as the Messiah. And then they were doing that, not only with Israelis but also with Palestinians, believing that Jesus is the only hope. How many of you this morning believe that that was a good thing for Jonathan and Joel to be doing? Anybody believe that was a good thing? Well, I want you to understand that there's millions of Jews. How do you think the state of Israel feels about what they were doing? Right now this weekend, I was just at the Evangelical Theological Society meeting, Dave Lowry at the Society of Biblical Literature. What do you think that all the leading scholars, Jewish Protestant, Roman Catholic, liberals, you know, from all different universities, what do you think they would say? If this was an audience not of Bible church people, but it was an audience of Society of Biblical Literature, what do you think they would say to me? Good thing or bad thing? It's a bad thing. A lot of them would say that. Not all of them, but a lot of them would say that. Why? Because the Jews have their religion, and Christians have their religion. And Islamic people have their religion, right? And it's very wrong for me as a Christian to ask Jews to believe in Jesus. So, And one thing you need to understand, like your children going out of university, that's going to be a very strong negative. One of the worst things you can do, they call it proselytism. In other words, you try to get someone from another religion to join your religion. What I want you to understand as a believer is that you need to think about what we're really talking about. Because what I want to teach you today is that I'm not asking a Jew to join with Christendom. I'm not asking a Jewish person not to be circumcised. I'm I'm not asking them not to worship on the Sabbath if they want to keep it. I'm not asking them to stop eating kosher food. In fact, I believe the Apostle Paul probably did all of those cultural things his whole life except when he was with all Gentiles. And he would never divide with Gentiles and Jews. He would get all Gentiles and Jews together. But Paul, culturally, was Jewish. And even late in his ministry, he went down to worship in the temple and he took a sacred Jewish vow, and he was consistent with that vow. What we're trying to get across to you in this church family, and you need to understand that, is that we're not talking about joining a religion. I'm talking about who you trust to stand right before God in the end. And you turn to Romans chapter 11. One of the big issues that Paul is wrestling with. With the, with the Roman church that he's getting ready to go to. As he writes this letter. Is that as the church was founded in Rome. It started to become dominantly Gentile. Remember Paul's ministry. When Paul went to the synagogue. And presented from the Old Testament scriptures. That Jesus was the promised Messiah. What happened? Some of the Jewish people believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Don't ever forget that. In fact, all the way up until the time of Constantine, there's a very strong Jewish element in the followers of Jesus. A lot of you have never heard that. All the way up until the time of Constantine, you have many Jews, especially in the eastern part of the empire, that believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And that was happening in the Church of Rome. But, but what do you remember about Paul's ministry? Many times he got thrown out of the synagogue, and then lots of Gentiles. You see, the Holy Spirit started to do something very powerful with the new gospel message as he began to share that the new covenant has come and the blessing of Abraham, through Abraham all the nations will be blessed and one of the powerful things that happened in the first century is that the Lord said no longer do you have to come to Jerusalem to order to receive the nearness to God and the blessings, but instead I'm going to take the temple in the person of individual followers of Christ into all the world and Gentiles by the score." Started believing. So much so that as the centuries went by, Christianity has become the most numerous faith in the world. Don't ever forget. I mean, we have a long way to go, but it's wrong not to think that this thing has exploded. And it's exploding greater today, this morning, than any other time. So when you're discouraged about what's happening, You know, remember there's a big picture here, and Jesus is incredibly powerful, but one of the things that started to happen in the church of Rome, the Gentiles started to become much more numerous than the Jews. Now what happens when you have a shift and you are more of one group than the other group? What starts to happen between the two groups? They begin to fight. And one group becomes proud, the other group becomes hurt. Anybody ever been in situations like that? Well, let's look at what the Apostle Paul in Romans 11 11 says about that. Because that's what he's wrestling with. And one of the questions that the Gentile Christians... This is one of the things the Gentile Christians were saying... So you'll understand what Paul's talking about in Romans 11. Verse 11. Some of the Gentiles were saying that God has forgotten His chosen people. He no longer is going to work with Israel the physical sons of Abraham. He's only going to work with the spiritual sons of Abraham like Paul talked about earlier. And now that has opened up to Gentiles as well. And so God is not going to do anything else with the Jewish people. And that became a dominant idea. By the way, that's become a very dominant idea in Christendom. That we have superseded the Jews. And the Jews aren't important anymore. And that's very, and, so, and so some of you have been raised in church traditions that will hold that there's, what's going on in Israel has no part of the family of God. It has nothing to do with God's working in the world. And God is only working now with the church. And they've become the new Israel. So those are questions. You say, well, Dave, how do you decide those issues? Let's see what the Apostle Paul says Has Paul forgotten his physical family? Has they forgotten the Jewish people? Look at verse 11. Again, I ask, did they, that would be, did the Jewish people, the people that rejected Jesus, the people that, that were the majority didn't respond at Pentecost, the majority in the book of Acts, the, the, the first century Judaism, you might, didn't respond to Jesus. Did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? So the question I just raised is the question the Apostle Paul is very concerned about. Has God forever turned away from the physical sons of Abraham? Look what he says. Not at all. In fact, Paul says, heavens, no. That would be the words in translation. God forbid. Absolutely not. Look what he goes on and says. Why not? He says, rather... Now, get this. This is powerful. Rather because of their transgression, because they rejected Jesus... Because they didn't respond to Paul's ministry. Salvation has now come to the Gentiles. In other words, when Paul preached in a synagogue, he preached to Jews. When they threw him out of the synagogue, what did Paul do? Tell me. He preached to... And how many of you are Gentiles today? Aren't you glad that he preached to Gentiles? Amen, right? You say amen. That's a powerful one. See the wondrous power of God... You see, the Jewish people reject the message so that a Jewish man that was raised all of his life in Judaism, in fact, he wouldn't even eat with you all as Gentiles, but now he's devoting his whole life to reaching Gentiles. But has he forgotten his Jewish friends? He says no. He says that the gospel has now come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious, Is there such a thing as a redeeming, provoked to redeeming jealousy? I want you to stop and think this morning about provoked to redeeming jealousy. We're going to talk about an idea of evangelism. How do you reach unbelievers? How do you reach hardened unbelievers? And to be honest with you, in all of my life, like I share with you, I was raised, half of my friends were Jewish. It was hard to reach them with Jesus. In other words, my Jewish friend, Jesus equals Hitler equals Holocaust. Holocaust. That's a bad combination, guys. My friends in football that were Jewish, when they got tackled by a big linebacker, they said, Jesus. Jesus was their cuss word. Read Jewish literature. Read Herman Wouk. His cuss word is Jesus Christ. So if you want a, a hard group to reach for Jesus, it's the Jewish people. How do you do it? Paul says, my prayer, my desire that I would provoke my physical jewish family and my physical jewish friends to jealousy say dave Jealousy is always a bad thing. How could jealousy be a good thing? It says this, but if their transgression means the riches for the world, if the fact that the Jews didn't respond to Jesus, that opened the door for God's plan of salvation to reach out to Gentiles, and their loss means that we've received riches for the Gentiles, which is most of us this morning, then Paul says, how much greater riches will there be when the fullness comes? So, Paul whets their appetite for a future time when there's not going to be a minority of Jews that believe in Jesus, but there's going to be an explosive time when the majority of Jews again will believe in the Messiah or will believe in the Messiah, Jesus, for the first time. Now, I'm talking to you Gentiles, and as much as I'm an apostle to the Gentiles, now we're going to explain to us about his ministry. I make much of my ministry. One of the things I pray that every one of you, how many of you are involved in ministry? You're involved in helping with Awana. You're involved in Manna. You're involved in, in trying to reach some of your unbelieving friends of your children. Some of you are involved in Casa. I could go on and on. This church family is filled with all kinds of ministry. You need to have a holy glory in that. You know that God enabled you to do that. But I want you to see that Paul is excited. He's proud in a holy sense of the way the Spirit of God is using him in his ministry. I make much of my ministry. Why? Because in a hope that I may somehow arise my own people, this would be his own Jewish people, to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection, if the fact that they turned away from Jesus has enabled Gentiles, the world, to be reconciled, and the idea of reconciling, if, if the fact that the Jewish people said crucify him, and then they turned away from the apostolic message, if God mysteriously and powerfully used that rejection to cause His Son to be put on the cross so that His Son would later be resurrected from the dead, if God uses their rejection... That which is a very negative thing, we would think, to open up the door of salvation universally, to to have red and yellow, black and white, how much more will God work when he begins to powerfully call the Jewish people? And Paul's passion is that he might reach some Jewish people and that they might believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that he might spark a movement that will explode in causing the vast majority of his Jewish people to trust in Jesus. That's what he's passionate about. He closes this paragraph by saying this. He's saying, For if their rejection is a reconciliation in the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough that's offered as the first fruits is holy. That's the idea. If it's set apart for God, not that it's right with God or that it received the holiness of God, but if part, if, if I can only reach a little part, the picture here is when when Mary makes bread and she puts a little yeast in the dough. She doesn't put dough and an equal poundage of yeast, does she? What would happen to the bread? Man, we would have it exploding all over Midlothian. What did she do? She takes a big lump of dead dough that will never rise, has no chemical reaction in it, puts a little pinch of yeast, or if in the old days where she used to have this always this sour, this heinous thing that was that was fermenting continually. You know, that, that sourdough starter, you know what I'm talking about? Well, she didn't pour the whole bottle in, just a little bit. And then the reaction explodes. And that's the idea. that when And this is, by the way, the way all ministry works. You just start to work with a little group. Somebody comes to know Jesus. And Paul's idea is, his picture is, I want to reach just a few Jews. And then they'll be set apart for the Lord. And a powerful spirit-given reaction will take place. And that'll eventually explode by the sovereign grace of God to reach all kinds of people. So that's what he means by provoking to holy jealousy. Paul's desire is that as he reaches many Gentiles, that his own Jewish brethren will be able to see the incredible blessings that have come to them in Messiah Jesus, that they'll be jealous. When Mary and I were at the OU game and the Baylor game, a lady right in front of us had an iPod. You haven't just seen the pilot advertising it that's able to look at the weather. This lady, man, she hits a button, there's all the weather radar thing just like i look at in the airport you know just there's the satellite images she hits another button there's all of her family hundreds of pictures hits another button she calls somebody it's incredible are you noticing a, something in me what do i want so i've been provoked to envy okay What's happened in your life because Messiah Jesus has come into your life that's such a valuable, precious gift that everyone would want to have. Let's share it. Raise your hand. Give me what are some of the things? Yes. Salvation. Man, that's a big one. What do you mean by salvation? Can they repeat that? She said, one of the great gifts I have in Jesus that'll provoke other people to jealousy is I have salvation. And so that when I die. I know for sure. You know for sure that if you die, like Bill, that, that's her nickname that, is, that passed away early this week. Because of her faith in Jesus, we know for sure this morning she is with Jesus. I want every child in the room, every teenager to know, I want you to know that no other group of people on earth except those that have Jesus living their life can say that. All your kids need to understand that. Like when you're in the university and they say it's all the same, i want you to remember it isn't if i was an islamic imam this morning i often teach you this but you need to understand there's a great uniqueness to the preciousness of jesus as an imam i could never say you're going to be safe with allah for sure i would have to tell you i don't know have you kept the five pillars long enough have you kept them hard enough what an incredible gift What's another gift that you have in Jesus? Yeah, Bill? Peace. Peace. Peace with God. Wow. Reconcile with God. Like God isn't angry. Stand. Amen. Wow. Great. Unconditional love. Man, that's incredible. Yes. Hope. Wow. Incredible, Josh. Wow. Hope. Faith, hope, and love. And our hope isn't just, well, I hope it works out. It's because of Jesus' promise and God's faithfulness that my future it's, it's okay. Amen. What an incredible gift. Redemption. Man, redemption. Jesus died on the cross. Totally p- redeemed me. Bought me out of slavery. You see, we could go on and on. One of the things I'd encourage you dads and mom, to do with your kids on this Thanksgiving, uh, those that are coming to our house, we always have the group that comes. We have them go around the table after we sock ourselves filled with turkey and everything else. We have them thank for something that's happened during the year. Then aren't you glad that you're living for something a lot more than just the latest technology? Amen. What I want us to really grow in as a church family is celebrating the blessings of Jesus. Take some time just to celebrate Jesus and share together. Share some of your stories of the blessings that Jesus has brought. You might not have ever thought of evangelism this way, but you want to connect with unbelievers and just live with unbelievers. I was raised very uptight with unbelievers because I was always saying, man, i got to get the God's line. You know, how much time can I be with this unbeliever before I share the fourth spiritual law? And to be honest with you, that put me under great pressure with unbelievers. This is a different approach. Paul is saying, I want to be with my Jewish friends, and I want to be sharing with them about my ministry among the Gentiles, and I want them to see Gentile pagans that used to worship idols that are now in love with Abraham's God. And I want them to see that transformation. And then they'll say, Paul, share with me about Yeshua. Share with me about Jesus. The second thing the Apostle Paul talked about in this passage, look at the next section. He warns us about pride. You see, when we have all these blessings that Jesus brings us, and when we become certain that we have salvation, and when the Lord blesses us and we're able to gather together and our movement begins to grow... It's very easy to become very prideful of our group. So look what he says in verse 17. If some of the branches have been broken off, that would be some of the people, because they didn't believe in Jesus as the Messiah, they were broken off... ...from the olive tree that he's going to talk about in just a minute... ...which represents that line of promise... ...that we talk about going all the way back to Genesis 3.15. Remember we learned about that there would be the seed of the woman... ...and that was the holy line of promise... ...that believed in God by faith and received his promise... And then it came through Seth after Abel was killed. And then it goes to Noah. And then it comes through Shem. And then it goes to Abraham. Just reminding some of you that have been with us all along. Paul is saying that some of his Jewish people, because they rejected the Messiah, they didn't believe, they turned away from the faith of Abraham, they were broken off from that olive tree representing that holy seed of faith in the promise of God. And you, though a wild olive shoot. The idea of being a wild olive shoot is that these Gentiles were just worshiping idols. In the city of Rome, Nero, for example, would dress up a man like a woman, and you think that's new in New Orleans. That's what Nero did. And he would drive through the streets and just rankly portray immorality. There was all kinds of idolatrous temples all over Rome. And these were the Gentile people that were coming to Jesus. And suddenly they loved the Old Testament. And they began to love the message of Jesus. They begin to collect the the letters of Paul. And begin to realize that the Spirit of God is breathing through those letters. And their lives are transformed. And that's really true. So much so that it starts to get way up even the court of Nero. And it's spreading like wildfire. There's a mighty movement of the Spirit in the cities of Rome. And I want to pray that we'll be part of a movement of the Spirit like that, and I want to encourage you not to be discouraged today. I hear some Christian leaders that are saying, well, it's never been this bad, and it's horrible, and I don't know if the Lord's going to preserve a remnant. He is going to preserve a remnant. In San Diego, I'm just at the airport, just taking an express bus. The lady says to me driving the thing, I'm just sitting there, and she says, Boy, there's a lot of archaeological stuff going on here. Weird stuff. People digging. And then she said, you know, I'm glad when they find something that proves the Bible. So I said, hey, are you interested in in the Bible? She said, yeah. And it led to a conversation about Jesus. Jesus said, I don't go to church very much. Kind of turned off on that a little bit. And I was able to say, well, man, take this. You can listen to to what we share from the Scripture right on the Internet. You got one of those machines at home, that computer. She said, yeah, well, you listen to this because you can learn about the truth. But here's a lady that's beginning to move toward Jesus. I believe there's millions of people that are turned off about Christendom, but they're not turned off about Jesus. Maybe we're seeing the beginnings of a movement because you really don't change people if you're all upset that as a Republican, that you don't have an anti abortion candidate that's probably gonna make it, so you don't have the foggiest idea who you can vote for. So the last 30 years of evangelical existence is crashing down because right wing Christianity is just falling into the pit, and I'm my whole life is meaningless. Cheer up, man. It's gonna be alright. Jesus is working, He doesn't, doesn't save nations through Washington. He saves nations through Jesus. And in this place right here, you're going to always hear about Jesus. You're going to always hear about his death. You're going to always hear about his resurrection. You're going to always hear you need to go to Afghanistan, go to Indonesia, trying to reach Indonesians for Jesus, not change the politics of Indonesia. Why? Why? Because when Jesus explodes, it's like a leaven that goes into a dough of bread, and then it explodes with new life. Amen. I want you to be excited about that in this election year. I want you to make wise decisions. Politics is politics. It has always to do with compromising decisions that are tough. But it's not salvation. we got a message that brings salvation. And Paul says, don't be arrogant. Don't feel that because our numbers are great that that gives us the right to turn against other people. And when he tells to the Gentile church, he says, I want you to be careful. Some of them were broken off to their unbelief. You've been put into the tree because of your faith. Do not boast over those branches if you do consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. We're supported by, remember, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. None of us today can feel that we're better than anyone else. None of us can feel that we're part of some special group because of our own strength. We're only in this marvelous olive tree called the people of God. Those that have trusted the promise because the incredible Messiah Jesus has come to live in our life and his, his life-giving blood is flowing through, as you might say, spiritually, giving us life. Amen? He says, you will say then, branched or broken off so that I could be grafted in. He said, no, they they were broken off because of their unbelief, and you stand by faith. Don't be arrogant. Don't be prideful, but be afraid. In other words, be respectful. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. And he's not talking about people losing their salvation there, but, but he's talking about a group of people that can lose faith. In other words, you can have moms and dads that really believe in Jesus. You can have moms and dads that are really intimately related to Jesus. But they become, as it begins to multiply, and as the church begins to grow, they can begin to think, well, we've got it because of what we've done, because of our planning, because of our skills. And they don't pass on this basic humility, what Stan was just sharing with us about this, this undeserved grace of God. And so they become arrogant. The Christian church became arrogant. The Christian church, churches like ours, as we grew in numbers... By the third century, a Roman emperor, in order to rule, had to declare himself a Christian. And there's lots of debate about what uh, Constantine's faith really was, and that's another discussion. But an objective fact of history is that people like you became so numerous that as the Roman Empire began to crumble, the only stabilizing, governing influence was people like you, the church. But what happened is the church became the kingdom of this world. And they became arrogant. And to be honest with you, the Jews were excluded. By the time the third century comes, the Jews, they were persecuted all along, but they begin to be persecuted very strongly and excluded. And if you didn't believe in Jesus as the Messiah, I was raised with Jewish kids that when I tried to reach the kids for Jesus, my Jewish friends, They said, you, Dave, have accused us of murdering Jesus for 2,000 years. And you hold that we're bad people because we murdered Jesus. And therefore, we've had pogroms and we've had the Holocaust. And so that's why this chapter that Paul is giving us here about let's be really careful not to be arrogant is so important. Because arrogant people become exclusive people who become persecuting people. Did you hear what I just said? Arrogant people become exclusive people who become arrogant people. I stand before you today desperately in need of a Savior, totally dependent upon Him. And He's a Savior that loves red and yellow, black and white, and there's no human standing before Him. I also represent a Savior who the best days for Jews, like my Jewish friends, the reason I want them to believe in Jesus is their best days are ahead. My Jewish friends are struggling in the United States. Their present growth rate says they will cease to exist. Herman Wouk, a writer I've read since I was a little boy, in his 80s is writing, will Hitler be right? Hitler believed if he destroyed Eastern Judaism, Western Judaism wouldn't be able to carry it. They would be amalgamated into society, and there'd be no more Jews, and Hitler would win. So Herman Wuch writes, will Hitler win? And I tell you, if you're from a Jewish background, if you have Jewish friends, rather than Jesus being the worst news you've ever heard, Jesus is the best news you've ever heard. Because Jesus is a Jewish boy. Who became a Jewish man. Who died as the Passover sacrifice. And who rose again as the son of man from the book of Daniel. And Paul's able to close. Look at verse 29. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. That you may be conceited. Because Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles come in. And so all Israel will be saved. And then he quotes from the book of Isaiah. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godliness away from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Jeremiah 31. As far as the gospels, they become enemies. On your account, so that we as Gentiles, you might say, could be born into God's family. But as far as God's choice, his election is concerned based upon his love for the patriarchs, Abraham. For God's gift and his call are irrevocable. Look what he says here. Just as you who at one time were disobedient to God, you've now received mercy as a result of their disobedience. Now get this. So they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound all men over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. And the little section, if you look at verse 24, after all, if you were cut off of an olive tree that's wild by nature and contrary to nature were grafted in, How much more readily will these natural branches be grafted in to their olive tree? The Apostle Paul is saying this. Is the story of the Jewish people over? How do you answer that today? No. Does that mean that we support everything the Israelis do? No. Does it mean we support everything the Palestinians do? No. Because we need to be a people where Jesus brings justice. The Bible does say, though, that we need to have a great passion to love Jewish people and to reach them through our lives and through our declaration of the truth of Jesus. So in our church family, the Chosen People Ministries, the Jews for Jesus, all friends of Israel, we're going to support them because we believe that Jesus is not only our Savior, but he's the Jewish Messiah. We're not arrogant. But what Paul is predicting right now, there's just little glimmerings of Jewish people coming to Jesus. But Paul is predicting in Romans 11, there's going to come another day when thousands of millions of Jewish people will trust in Jesus. We needed the church family to be joining Paul He said, I want to reach some of them. He wasn't arrogant about his ministry thinking he was going to bring the end of time. So we need to always be careful. In other words, if you're listening to me and I tell you, we can bring in the end of time. This is the end of time. The Bible believes we've been living in the end of time since Jesus rose again from the dead. We need to have this humility. We need to save some of them. And God in his sovereign time is going to have a day when Jews respond to Jesus. But we could be part of that leavening influence that begins to permeate the entire lump. So when my son Jonathan and Joel were on the streets of Tel Aviv, when Jonathan was was living in Israel, he talked to people developing friendships, living among them. And it's amazing to start to find throughout even Israel There's little congregations, some of them Jewish congregations, who believe in Yeshua Mashiach. And they have a lot of different forms of worship than you're used to, and they have different customs. They're very Jewish, but they believe in Yeshua Mashiach. And they're your brothers and sisters. And so you're part of this incredible great family with a great Lord, that one day through the leavening influence of the gracious message of Jesus is going to permeate the whole lump. And Paul's passion is this. It's not just for Jews. When the Jews in the majority look on the one that they pierced, then the nations will believe. And with the greatest day, there's going to be a new kingdom. There's going to be Jesus living on earth. And that's another story that we'll have to look at in the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, bring the blessing of Jesus upon each life that's here. I pray for anyone here that doesn't know the incredible blessings that Jesus brings, far more than any iPod, far more than any technological instrument. Jesus does powerful, blessing, life-giving things inside of us. I'd ask you, Lord, that you would use the teaching of Romans 11 to stir us and to cause us to really have a passion because of the reality of what Jesus is concretely doing in our life, causing others to be jealous and to want what we have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: For more information on materials available through Truth Encounter, please write to us at Truth Encounter, Box 580, Midlothian, Texas, 76065. Or you can contact us on the web at www.truthencounter.com. Our telephone number is 1-888-668-7884.